0: Well, beloved, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. I'm going to read verses 3 through 9, and then I'm going to read uh, verses 18 through the end of the chapter, which is Jesus' interpretation, explanation of the parable of the sower. Before I read from God's holy word, let's ask for his blessing upon us. Now, Almighty Father, we ask for you to not only be with us, but to bless us, that our Lord and Savior Jesus would, as our great prophet, come and instruct us this morning, that we would have our eyes open and our ears unplugged, that we might see and hear great things of the kingdom of heaven, that we would be able to examine ourselves, that we would make the right connections Lord that we would have the right convictions and that we would possess Lord your word your spirit and that we would be the owner of owners of much and great fruit Lord all for your glory we pray this in Christ's matchless name amen Matthew chapter 13 hear the word of the living God verse 3 and he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow, and he sowed. And he sowed, as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on the rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and Choked them out, and others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop some a hundredfold some sixty and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear in verse eighteen hear the hear then the parable of the sower: when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart, and this is the one on whom the seed was sown by the beside the road. On the one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. And the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some 60 and some 30. May the Lord bless his word to each of us. You may be seated. Well, brothers and sisters, as we continue to examine this parable of the sower, we must make sure and without any reservation understand that there is only one possessor out of this parable of the kingdom of heaven. Only one out of the four Only one truly possesses that righteousness of Christ in their heart, and that righteousness bears out in their lives fruit and more fruit, fruitfulness. If you have not listened to last week's sermon, if you were not here, please do so. A lot of important truths in that sermon, and I'm not going to go back and rehash those things, but continue to make connections. Brothers and sisters, we must be fruitful Christians. We, may, we, we don't simply need to be those Christians, and, and I use that term in the sense of not being genuine, of just perfect. Perf- Making a profession of faith. Making a a profession of faith and nothing else does not make one a Christian. They may join a church. They may be even involved in various activities in that church. They may make all kinds of outward reformation to their own lives, to their person, to their marriages. Even to the way they raise their children. And not possess the kingdom of heaven. We're gonna look at many of these passages this morning. It's it's vital that we come to an understanding of what Jesus is intending for us to gain out of this strict and very hard lesson. Many do not hear, many do not understand. But those that do understand, those that hear the voice of their shepherd, those that understand are the ones that go on and bear fruit for God's glory in the kingdom of heaven. These two words are vitally important to us under that, that w- what Jesus said, this knowledge, this, the hearing. Look what he says in verse 9, He who has ears, let him hear. That Greek word not only has the meaning to literally hear something, but it also contains a a, a deep and valuable metaphorical use. And that is, it's this intention of hearing something and practicing it. And we talk like this today. How many of you parents have looked at your children and said, are you hearing me? Now, what do you mean when you say that? Well, you, you, you're, not, you're not asking them if they hear you audibly. That's not the question. The question that you're really asking them is this. Are you listening to my word so that you would put them into practice and not get in trouble? That you would be obedient? That's the implication. That's what Jesus is intending here. The word knowledge, the Greek word that Jesus uses in this text when he begins to talk about, they don't understand. It's in reference to, or look down at uh, the explanation. Verse um, 19, he says, Anyone who hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it. That word understand means in an experiential sense to connect the dots to be able to connect to make connections to make the proper associations to attend to it to comprehend it that is beloved that that there is there is an intellectual activity as, as the word of the kingdom is sown, as the good word is preached and sown, those who hear it and is able by God's grace and spirit to make the proper connections with these truths are the ones that then can act and respond upon them as convictions, Let me give you an example of this. Um, Turn to Matthew chapter 5, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. We'll spend a good portion, I think, this morning in this chapter, if I can stay the course on my notes. In Matthew chapter 5, this is exactly how Jesus is using this concept of hearing and understanding In Matthew chapter 5, look at verse 21. And you have heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. Again, this word of hearing or having heard is this idea of learning, gaining understanding, connecting the dots, being able to conceive what is actually being taught. What's the responsibility we have to this knowledge, to this learning? Look at verse 27, and you have heard that it was said, you shall not, shall, shall not commit adultery. Again, it's the same thing. Verse 33, verse 38, verse 43. What Jesus is saying is, look, you've learned these things, but these are the things that you've learned that are incorrect. And I'm coming to set the record straight. I'm coming to actually teach you. If you look back, and we don't have time to read this whole chapter and me begin to un unfold it for you. But notice, it's, in, it's important that you connect the dots and connect the teaching here. What Jesus is correcting is this outward reformation of life. You've been taught this. You've been taught that this is righteousness. You've been taught that this is what God expects of you and that this is what God wants of you. But I'm telling you, you must go beyond that outward reformation of life. Look back, look back in chapter 5, look at verse 20. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpassed that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus constantly in his ministry condemned this outward religion of the Pharisees. And he tells them, he says, listen, there were many things they did outwardly that were good and right. They tithe, they did works of charity. But you have to go beyond those outward deeds and you have to own them in your heart. You have to desire to be a giver. You're tithing, you're giving, all because your heart is constrained by the love of God. And there is no price imaginable for the grace that each of you who believe in Christ possess what price would you put on it? That the love that we show one another would not simply be that outward, that outward shell and facade, but in our hearts that we would be loving our neighbor as ourselves and doing to them what we would want others to do to, for us and to us. brothers and sisters may we grasp this and we are talking about the gospel and why some christians are fruitful and some are not some are very temporary and the pleasures of this world stronger in their hearts than any grace some for even long periods of time show outward reformation but never really come to possess Christ or the kingdom of heaven or a true understanding of his word but that there are some who bear fruit and some who bear much fruit and some who bear a lot of fruit now this morning I want to talk and make some connections. I want us to make some connections since that's what we are commanded to do. And the connections that I want us to make, that I'm going to make this morning from the Word is that these connections would not simply be that which we know, but that which we put into practice. They would be convictions. Now, conviction is a word we don't use a lot today. But a conviction is a strong motivation. We must be strongly motivated within our very being to do these things, and if not to do them, well, we're convicted and guilty that if not to do them, we're guilty before God. That's a strong conviction. There are things that are what we might call indifference. We're talking about things that are primary, okay? I'm going to make three connections Concerning God, and then there are three implications about ourselves. The first connection, I'm gonna go ahead and give you all three, and then I'll start with the first one. The three connections that we need to make this morning as we come to know and understand and to hear the gospel with the proper ears and see with the proper eyes is this that God is creator. Secondly, that God is judge. And thirdly, that God is Redeemer. God is Creator. God is Judge. And God is Redeemer. Now, the implications that flow out of that for ourselves is that if God is Creator, I am created. If He is the great owner of all things, I am owned. I am under authority. I am under his privilege. I am under his prerogative, so to speak. If God is creator, I am part of his creation. I am created. And you can even allow your minds to sort of survey scripture. Paul uses this in the gospel presentation, right? That who are we to talk back to God? He's creator. Who are we? As being created. We didn't create ourselves. I read Psalm 100 to you on purpose that not only is God as creator it's he who made us and not we ourselves in both sense as being created we just did not show up on the scene but that God intentionally and with purpose created all things for his glory put man here to carry out His will. And the second one is God is judge. As creator, God holds the only prerogative to come and bring judgment upon His creation, His creatures that do not follow His will. The Bible's clear about this. And again, it's part of the gospel. Part of the gospel. You can't have good news. Good news would not be good news if you didn't know the bad news. If you didn't understand the bad news about you, you didn't hear it, you didn't understand it, you couldn't make the connections. Well, then the gospel's not going to be good news. And we have to understand. The bad news, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. And then thirdly, Redeemer. two names that God loves to call Himself, Creator and Savior. Creator and Savior. That's all throughout the Old Testament. I made you and I saved you for myself. So let's open this up. If, if, if God is Redeemer, beloved, the, not only do I have to acknowledge that I have been created, I didn't create myself, I don't come from, I, I did not evolve over millions or billions of years. There is going to be a judgment day. I'm going to stand before God. I'm going to give an account for my actions, for my thoughts, for the words that I've used, for the things that I've done. I need to consider this. I need to connect the dots. I need to, I need to think about how I have sinned against and violated committed spiritual crimes against my creator and then thirdly as again if there's if god is redeemer then what's the responsibility i have in relationship to god i have been a rebel now i need to be reconciled how do i do that how do i become reconciled to god as redeemer this is the gospel It's the beginning of the gospel. It's the the beginning of those convictions that the one who hears the gospel and understands it, that goes on to a fruitful life, has to wrestle with and come to grips with first. First. Number one, God as creator. Now, the Bible tells us that in the beginning, God created God the heavens, and the earth. I don't know why the Christian church disputes that for the most part. Only a very small segment of Christians today believe in what we call the doctrine of creation. That is, God created all things by the word of His power in the span of six days, normal 24-hour days. A day in Genesis one one is... A day to us. Not Christian evolution or theistic evolution has no place in the church. John one one. Turn there with me, because in John, John plays on the doctrine of creation, and he makes this application. Not he uses that. He brings it along, and now he makes an application in a salvific sense. That is, yes, God as creator. Now, God as recreator. Okay. In the beginning, we just read verse 1 and follow. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. John makes this association of, of God speaking at the beginning of the world, bringing forth light out of darkness. John makes a spiritual application. this Jesus comes into the world. He's the light of men, and those who are in darkness couldn't understand it. They couldn't connect the dots. You go back and look at the Sermon on the Mount, just hold your place there. You think about the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says it's interesting because you can discern the sun. You know when the sun rises a certain color or sets in a certain color, it's going to be a certain day the next day, but you don't know who's standing in front of you now. You can discern all of these physical things in the world that you live in because you are experiencing these things and you've learned to understand them. But you don't know the word of God. You don't know who's here preaching the gospel to you right now. And John goes on, he says in verse 6, There came a man sent of, from God whose name was John, and he came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. And there was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him but as many as received him to them he gave the right to become children of God even to those who believed in his name who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man but God. John tells us that Jesus coming into the world was so vital and so important to this this new covenant, to the kingdom of heaven, that God even sent forth a forerunner to announce him so he wouldn't be missed. Talk about God's grace. God sent this prophet named John the Baptist to, to go before Christ and to, to begin softening the hearts of the people, right? He began preaching the gospel. What did John, what was John's gospel? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he was out baptizing the masses who would come. He was baptizing them a what? A baptism of Repentance softening their hearts so they might be prepared to be the good soil to hear the preaching of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. In verse 14, he says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. What is it that makes this so humbling, so gracious? What makes grace so gracious? Well, let me explain it to you. Beloved, in reality, right now, there are two covenants in play. There are two covenants in play right now. There's the covenant that God made with Adam called the covenant of works or the covenant of life. That covenant was based upon the promise that if you eat from the tree in the midst of the garden, you shall die. And if you do not eat from the tree in the midst of the garden, you will live and all your posterity will live forever. The covenant of works. Adam transgressed the covenant, but the covenant still stands. Then there is the covenant that we talk about regularly, and that's the covenant of grace. You see, beloved, you're either under the covenant of works in Adam or you're in the covenant of grace in Christ. If that were not true, Paul would not have any leg to stand on in the book of Galatians where Paul rebukes the church there and says, how is it that you're now leaving grace That which you received freely in Christ and going back to works. Well, don't you know, Paul says, that the one who works must work perfectly and completely? That he who keeps the law must keep the whole law? You see, beloved, we we hear the, the bad news. The conviction is that we are outside of Christ. If we are outside of Christ, then we are under this covenant of works in Adam, and we are being judged by everything we say, do, or speak. Everything. And we stand guilty before God. We're condemned. That's what Paul says in Romans 7. He says, what did the law do when I heard the law? It made me a greater sinner because when I began examining myself by the law, I was killed by it. I was slain by it. I realized that it wasn't just my outward life that God was concerned with because remember, Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Paul was a a Hebrew of Hebrews. Paul was a master at all of the ceremony and yet still not right with God. And Paul said, I was slain by this law and it cut me to the heart, and I fell under the conviction that not only my outward man must conform to these rules, but my inner man must conform to them as well. (laughs) Beloved, God as creator carries the prerogative of placing his creature under a covenant which he did that covenant is still binding and still valid today and the question we have to ask ourselves but there's no way to be fruit there's no way to be fruitful in that covenant that covenant the more you work the more you're condemned the more you labor in your own power, in your own strength, the more you, the good you talk about yourself, the more good you do, the greater condemnation you fall under because it's not a perfect righteousness. It's shot full of holes. It's putrid in God's sight. As he told Isaiah, it's filthy rags before me. That's why Isaiah could say, I'm a man of unclean lips. My heart's not Right. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 17. Then we're going to go to chapter 2 quickly. He says, what does Paul say here in his prayer? He says, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. What is Paul I pray that you know him, know him savingly. I pray that you can commune with him. I pray that you understand his holiness, his righteousness, his perfections. I pray all of these things, beloved, so that you can see yourself the way God sees you and that you would see him the way he wants to be seen. 18 I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened and that you would you will know what is the hope of his calling that are the riches of the glory of the inheritance of the saints and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe the greatness of his power what is this greatness of this power that we would be translated out of the covenant of works out of the family of Adam into the family of Christ Where there is no more condemnation. Look at Ephesians 2, and Paul talks about this family of Adam being part of the family of Satan because they're fallen in Adam. Notice what he says in one, verse one. He says, "And you were dead in your trespasses and sin. That's what the fall brought us. Remember the question we just confessed about the sin and the estate of sin and misery? That's the estate of death. To be dead is to be miserable. Spiritually dead is to be a miserable person. The world is full of misery, isn't it? The world is full of all kinds of sorrow and misery. He says, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. There is a spirit of sorrow and misery and corruption working in the sons of disobedience. Who are these sons of disobedience? The sons of Adam. The sons of Adam. Like our father, who disobeyed God, so we too are disobedient before him. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, were and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. What does Paul say here? Paul here again, he lays out that God is not only creator, but God is judge. That God brought judgment upon Adam. God brought righteous judgment upon Adam. Did Adam deserve his judgment? Yes, he did. Because God told him, don't eat of that tree. If you do, you'll die. Clear nothing ambiguous about it. John 3 says that all who do not believe in Christ abide under his wrath, John three thirty six. But what does he go on to say? Now he interjects this covenant of grace. Now he he lays this is this covenant of works is in reality still in play. But now God, but God has done something. God has done a work of grace in the land, God has done a work of grace in all the earth. God did not leave man in that condition. Look at verse 4. But God being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us. Stop there. <laughs> That's the motivation of your obedience. See, it's no longer out of, it no longer flows out of the covenant of works as a a form of self righteousness. No, part of the preaching of the gospel is that our eyes are open to our what? Our putrid self righteousness. Let me give you an example of what self righteousness looks like. Anytime we say, well, I'm not as bad as. That's self-righteous. I may not be as bad as I could be, but I am bad before God. Bad enough. I'm fallen before God. I'm corrupt. As James says, the heart is full of lies. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitfully wicked, right? Who can know it? No, God moved to remedy man's misery and sorrow by setting forth a new covenant, a covenant of grace. That covenant of grace is described in verse 4 because God being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together in Christ by grace You have been saved. We have been translated by grace out of the covenant of works and brought into the covenant of grace, a covenant of mercy. That's good news. You see, beloved, because the reality is God is judged. God is going to judge his creation. God is going to come, and he's going to judge the whole world. The whole world would be assembled before him on that day of judgment when he comes back. And there are going to be two sides. There are going to be the side of the covenant of works, the the family of Satan, the family of Adam, those who wanted to work their way to heaven, those who wanted to work out their own righteousness. And then there are going to be those who said, I can't do it. I'm unable to do it. I don't even want to do it. But by grace, God was, God loved me. And he said, he had mercy on me. And that grace and mercy led to a repentance and new obedience in my life. And that all that I do, it flows from that fountain of God's grace and mercy. My obedience no longer comes from the fountain of self. It comes from the fountain of grace. Notice what he said in verse 6. He said, He raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Here's the picture. In the covenant of works, all are condemned. Nobody, Everybody's condemned. Everybody's condemned equally. In the covenant of grace, everybody should be condemned, but they're not, for Christ's sake. It's it's the foundation of grace. And you know what grace is? Grace is something that you don't earn and merit. Grace is something that you could not do yourself. You're unable to do it. You didn't even want to do it. But you have it because God is gracious and merciful and kind and loving. And he gives us what what we don't deserve, grace and life. And he says, listen, you know what? People can look at you all day long and they say, oh yeah, you know what? You lied to me. And you go, yes, I did. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? That, I still struggle with my own corruption. You were caught doing something immoral. I, I was. Forgive me. It, 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 wrongs, it wrongs my Savior. Not in this area of works. It, I sinned against God's grace. You spoke harshly to me. I did. Will you forgive me? I've sinned against God's grace. I was saved from all that, and yet here I am doing it. Forgive me, brother or sister. Forgive me. I still sometimes live in reality of my own corruption, and it grieves me to do so because God has been so loving and so kind and so gracious to me. I want to live more consistently to that. And with that, amen? Am I speaking? I mean, are we all relating? And he says, he says in in, in verse seven, but you are trophies of this grace because God has been pleased even in all of our imperfections to set us up as trophies of his grace and go, yes, hey, I I saved that one and I saved that one and I saved that one and I saved that one. These are my trophies of grace. These are in my cabinet. These are in my house. These are all living trophies of grace of my love and mercy. I love them. I love them. And I love them first, and now they love me. And yes, they sin but I sanctify them. I continue to wash them. I continue to forgive them. I continue to teach them. I continue to instruct them. I continue to stir up in them with the means of grace and all of these outward ordinances that I've commanded my people to do. I stir them up to faith and repentance and new obedience. Praise God. Because verse 8, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works or your works, so that no one may boast. But we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, fruit, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, we can't do it in the covenant of works. Remember? Remember what I've already taught you? is the more you do over here, the more condemned you are. The more righteous you try to be in your own strength, the more of condemnation you deserve. Let me give you an example. Turn, turn to Hebrews 1 or Hebrews 2. I want to make this point, in, and I'm not nearly got as far along as I want to, but Hebrews Look at Hebrews chapter two. Now, here's the picture that I want you to have in your mind. You look at the Old Testament and you say, "Well, look at, look at those guys, man. They had the, the Mount Sinai on fire. They had thunder crashing down, fire on top of the mountain. God's voice speaking audibly, shaking the whole earth. I mean, God told them, "Look, don't let anybody be within a thousand yards of this thing because they'll die. I'm holy." In all of that, the writer of Hebrews says, "Your sin against God's grace is way more magnified than their sin." Look at Hebrews. For this reason, we all right the 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 the, the church that he's speaking to. We must pay closer attention to what we have heard. So that we do not drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, because God is justice, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Beloved, how will we escape? If we neglect the good seed, the preaching of the kingdom of heaven, the gospel, how will we escape if we don't make the connections? The Bible says that God has appointed a day of judgment. There's already that day set apart. It's going to happen. Matthew 25, again, gives us the picture of those who did good deeds flowing out of that saving grace, and that's the fruit of their lives. Their lives were marked by the fruit of the gospel in their hearts, and their lives were uh, accompanied with all of these good works versus theirs that weren't. And I plan next week to go and look more at what these good works are. But brothers and sisters, this morning, what I want us to understand is that when we hear the gospel, when we come to the word of God, we must have these basic convictions that God is creator, God is judge, God is redeemer and I am created, and I stand guilty. I have broken his law. I have broken his covenant in my father, Adam. I stand guilty, and I now must flee to Christ, and not to do so is a tremendous sin. It's a greater, more heinous sin to sin against God's kindness than to sin against the law. You know why? Listen, you know, listen, here's here's the thing. In the gospel, you know what you hear? An invitation. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Come to me. I'm going to give you everlasting life. I have the words of eternal life. Come to me, and I'll give them to you. I'll put my word in your heart and you'll understand it. I'll put my words in your mind and you'll meditate on it. I'll put my words on your hands and you'll do good deeds in my name. I'll put my word on your feet and you'll take my word to the ever ends of the earth. Oh, brothers and sisters, there's a great invitation every time the gospel's preached to come to Christ. There's an invitation to come, and then there's the promise being held out that if you will believe, believe that I am God Almighty, that I can forgive sin, and I can give you everlasting life. If you believe and put your faith in me, I will save you. That's the promise. It's a promise. Now, remember, God can't lie. God cannot lie. If God lies, he cannot be God. The invitation, the promise. And then we have the reality, beloved, of the people around us that we know that bear fruit and we see their lives and we see their joy and we see their happiness. We see the we see the widows. We see the widows dropping the mite in the plate. We see it. We see, we see the sinful beating their chest, looking up to heaven saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. We see it. And we know that they are the possessors of everlasting life. They are the possessors of the kingdom of heaven and that we can be like them. We can be humbled. What did Jesus say? You know, who does the kingdom of heaven belong to? Oh, it comes. It's, it belongs to those who are like children. Children. Not, not immature. Trusting. Not the quality of immaturity. But trust, you know, like a child, trusting. Because what is true? What is one of the characteristics, the vital characteristic of true saving faith? Believes whatever the Word teaches. That's faith. God, you said it, I believe it. Who am I to doubt it? Lord, and forgive me when I doubt it. Forgive me when I don't live in accordance with it. Forgive me, O Lord, when I speak against it, even unwittingly in ignorance and weakness. Because I know we don't often, we don't do it purposely, but we find ourselves, I shouldn't have said that. I, I just judge the word of God. Forgive me, Father. Forgive me in Christ. Because listen, listen to me, beloved. Even our repentance needs help. And because that we stand not in Adam, but in Christ, our repentance is accepted in him. <laughs> Praise the Lord. That I can repent and it can be, you know, my, my, how often does our repentance fall short? But in Christ, it's accepted. Not, not to create laziness, to create gratefulness because you could repent till the cows come home and it won't be perfect and you won't get it all. But know that your repentance is offered in faith to God in Christ and it's accepted because of Christ. Praise God. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to leave you with this. It is a great sin to not comply to the gospel. It's the greatest of sins. Because in the gospel, God has held forth the greatest of graces. The extension of you possessing something that you do not deserve is offered to you in the gospel. And not to receive that is to heap great condemnation to yourself on judgment day. The fullest of condemnation There will be many, Christ says, on that day. Say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Now, these are preachers. And Jesus is going to turn to them and he's going to say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. That is, they weren't doers of the word. They were self-righteous doers of the word. They, They didn't offer obedience that come through that pardoning grace of Christ. They weren't filled with hearts of thanksgiving. Lord, I can't do these things in my own strength. I'll strengthen you, my son. Lord, I can't think these things. My mind wanders. I'll fill it with the truth, my son. I will bring you to salvation perfect. I will bring you to completion. And he holds that out for us. And we continue to respond faith and faith and faith and faith from Lord's day to Lord's day to Lord's day. From repentance, 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 knowing that one day we're going to get there. And we're closer today than we were last week to that day. We're closer. But, brothers and sisters, know that if you have complied to the gospel, you're going to hear the sweetest words ever uttered in your experience when Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. Come. Come and enter into this kingdom that I have created for you in the enjoyment. Come. And live out eternity in amazing grace. let's pray. How blessed Father we do. We are struck and left with the need, O oh Lord, to ponder our standing in Adam. And our standing in Christ, O oh Lord, and I pray that if we are going to be fruitful, we must abandon and forsake that old family of Adam, and we must embrace Christ and come into this new family of heaven, this new kingdom of heaven. And Lord, and we must, in, for Christ's sake, believe, trust, and rest in Him so that He would work in us that it, which is well-pleasing in Your sight. That not only were we created, we have been recreated in Christ Jesus, made new creations in Christ, in Christ. And Father, give us great, the the, the hope, the joy, the the great uh, happiness that can only be possessed by those who are rightly found in Christ. And, Lord, we pray that our love, our, our, Lord, new life would be exhibited to this world in our good works, in our fruit. Let it flow from a heart that is constrained by the love of God and in thankfulness for his grace, his love, and his mercy. Lord, we're coming now to the Lord's Supper where we will feast and commune with Christ in this ordinance. We pray, O Lord, that we would come to this table by faith. I pray, Father, that we would come with hearts that have have been, Lord, softened, hearts that have been, Lord, uh, clean and ready and prepared to commune with Christ through the preaching of your word, and that we would have that sweet fellowship with him, which is by faith. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.